welcome to the Iconic Podcast. This episode was recorded live at our 2020 symposium. Each year, Icon holds an academic symposium which allows third-year students an opportunity to deliver a public talk based on their own personal research projects. In December last year, six students were selected nationally to present their research. Edie's talk was recorded live over Zoom and is entitled The Relationship Between Menstruation and Shame. You can read her abstract for this presentation in the episode notes. Enjoy. Apparently, it is ungraceful of me to mention my period in public because the biology of my body is too real. I bleed each month to help make mankind a possibility. However, the majority of people are more comfortable with the pornification of women, the sexualization of women, the violence and segregation of women. And while they do not express their disgust about all that, some may be bothered and angered by my talk this evening. I menstruate and they see it as dirty, as if it is not a bridge between worlds, a labor, a love, a selfless and strikingly beautiful process. My name is Edie Bartley and I am honored and excited to be sharing my work with you all this evening. I would first like to express my gratitude to my friends and family for their unwavering support and encouragement and the incredible ICON community for helping me bring my ideas into fruition and bring this piece to life. I chose to study the phenomenon of menstrual shame because I want to live in a world where people who bleed feel at home in their bodies and in their communities, no matter what cultural or religious ideals influence them. I must first clarify that I've chosen to focus on cisgender women for pragmatic reasons in order to address issues that are of personal relativity to me. I am aware that the focus on menstruation encompasses not only cisgender women, but people who identify outside of traditional gender constructs and the LGBTQIA community who menstruate but do not necessarily identify as female. When I say menstruation or period blood, what do you notice your initial reaction to be? I want you to ask yourself whether that reaction is in any way influenced by your cultural conditioning. While normalizing menstruation is a gradually emerging dialogue, there remains a deep layer of shame. This natural reproductive process bears a strong taboo commanding it not be seen, discussed, or in most ways acknowledged. It is hard to comprehend that over 800 million people menstruate daily and conditions such as polycystic ovarian syndrome, fibroids, endometriosis, painful, difficult or heavy periods and thyroid and adrenal issues affect over 20 million of those people. These conditions have been significantly linked with symptoms of clinical depression and an outstanding figure of 7 million people who menstruate meet the diagnostic criteria for depression. Yet I feel that people who deal with these conditions are underaccounted for and unrepresented in our media, medical systems and social structures. The possibility of someone who is suffering from depression as a symptom related to endometriosis or polycystic ovarian syndrome, being inhibited from speaking up about their condition by the shame that grips our society is a true indicator to me 
that menstruation needs to be openly spoken about and destigmatized. To talk about shame, as some researchers now say, is to talk about the master emotion of everyday life. Brene Brown presented the empirical foundation for the shame resilience theory for understanding shame and its impact on women. Shame was defined as an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of acceptance and belonging. Participants described this feeling as devastating, noxious, consuming, excruciating, small, separate from others, rejected, diminished, and the worst feeling ever. When looking at the phenomenology of shame, it can be described as the uncovering of a hidden action, being caught at doing something unseemly and left unprotected to the eyes of the public. With shame, there is often a strong emphasis on the other's gaze, as well as the idea that shame arises from acting improperly or making a fool of oneself. So I find it unfathomable that this feeling of shame associated with one's improper and foolish behaviour is linked to a natural and essential biological process. From my perspective, putting shame on the process of menstruation is like putting shame on breathing or sleeping or walking. Even our use of language around menstruation points to clear signs of shame. We've all heard lady troubles in hushed voices or even Aunt Flo's coming to town or she's surfing the crimson wave in film and television, which may be lighthearted and humorous, but still shows the lengths that we go to in order to avoid this topic. The study, of men, the study of language around menstruation largely points to the male-dominant culture we have lived in, where we have attempted to hide menstruation with symbolism and metaphor. It appears obvious to me that such a profound human emotion as shame would leave long-lasting psychological implications. Shame, incidentally, can guide our behaviour, shape our sense of identity and our feelings of self-worth and acceptability. Studies have explored the similarity between shame and traumatic memories, where intrusions, flashbacks, strong emotional avoidance, hyperarousal, fragmented states of mind and disassociation were found similar. Stigma has been defined as deeply discrediting and socially undesirable attributes. Individuals who possess who possess such attributes are often labelled as weak, dangerous or bad. The menstruating woman has been termed discreditable and especially vulnerable to social sanction, which is said to be inextricably connected to the sexual politics between men and women and possibly a likely factor for the diagnostic delay for conditions such as endometriosis. In Western society, Women go to lengths to conceal their menstrual blood in public and store their sanitary items out of sight. As well as learning from a young age that period pain is something to be tolerated and something they should remain silent about. So being deemed discreditable and a lack of education has forced women to question their own symptoms and doubt their genuine need to seek help. In the rare instance when a woman overcomes her shame and discloses her experience, she is often met with invalidating responses 
a very complex diagnostic process and minimal treatment options. Yet another symptom of shame in our culture is the mothers, aunties and grandmothers who teach daughters and younger girls to conceal their menstruation, particularly from their fathers, brothers, teachers and in the workplace in order to protect them from exposing their discreditable qualities. Greater than his fear of death, dishonour or dismemberment has been primitive man's respect for menstrual blood. The measures he has taken to avoid this mysterious substance have affected his mealtimes, his bedtimes and his hunting seasons. And primitive woman, unable to separate herself from the blood, knew that upon her tabooed state depended the safety of an entire society. I came across this quote on my research and it struck a chord with me. It baffles me that death and dismemberment could be more fearful to a man than the blood of the womb that nourished his child as a growing embryo. The term taboo has been said to exist as a means to protect human beings from danger. And apparently somewhere along the line, the menstruating woman was deemed a danger to herself and her society. Primitive societies have made the threat of menstrual pollution as concrete as possible. So let's take a look around the globe at the varying cultural practices and beliefs around menstruation. Traditionally, the Maori people of New Zealand believed in the kahu kahu, an energy that dwells in the menses, having the power to inflict the most extreme harm on men. The May Enga people of Papua New Guinea believed that contact with menstrual blood or a menstruating woman will sicken a man and cause persistent vomiting, turn his blood black, corrupt his vital juices so his skin hardens and darkens as his flesh wastes, permanently dulling his wits and eventually leading to a slow death. The Tine Indians of the Yukon Territory of Northwest Canada believed that menstrual blood holds the essence of the feminine. Thus, men should avoid contact with it at all costs, lest they threaten their masculinity. These myths continue with stories of women emitting a threatening or supernatural force, putting herself and her community at risk of succumbing to her deadly power. As we move further around the globe and take a look at South Asia, we can see an example of a society where the topic of menstrual taboo is not merely old-fashioned. It remains relevant to this date. The Manusmriti, popularly known as the Lords of Mana, as its English translation, is an ancient Hindu text which originates between 200 BC and 200 CE. It outlays the rules of conduct of the domestic, social and religious lives of Hindus. A significant portion of this text lays down the notions of womanhood in religious ideology. As you can imagine, there is a lot to say around menstruation in this scripture. In fact, the instructions are very specific, so I shall paraphrase. A man should never make love to a menstruating woman or even lie in the same bed as her. He should not speak to her nor eat with her, see her eat, yawn, sneeze or relax. This will result in his loss of wisdom, 
brilliance, strength, eyesight, and longevity. Man should never eat food which has been looked at or touched by a menstruating woman or a sex worker. In this text, a menstruating woman is determined untouchable along with pigs and dogs. Today, in many parts of Nepal, women and girls are forced to spend their menstruating days outside of their homes, often in animal sheds with very uncomfortable living conditions, exposed to harsh weather and temperature. This is known as the practice of chopadi, where despite its official ban in 2015, a recent study showed that 89% of adolescent girls still experience some form of exclusion or restriction during menstruation. This practice is also based on the Hindu belief that any secretions associated with birth and menstruation are impure and dirty and should not be exposed to the woman's family and community. One of the many gaping holes in this cultural system is that the taboo and stigma around menstruation affects the health and safety of girls and women. A 2009 study was undertaken among the nomadic and semi-nomadic tribal girls of Gujar. The results revealed that the girls lacked an understanding of the process of menstruation, were not educated nor prepared for the onset of menarche, and were faced with serious gynecological problems, infections, and unsafe sanitary conditions. Since researching the topic of menstrual shame, my own internalized shame has become apparent to me. It helped me to see that what we need is to cultivate more education and awareness around menstruation in our schools, our households, our workplaces, and general society. A few years ago, I attended my first of many menstrual cycle education workshops where I heard stories of cultures that worship, revere, and even consume menstrual blood for its life-giving potency. Studies have shown that stem cells can be found in menstrual blood, which has the capacity to differentiate into heart, nerve, bone, cartilage, and fat cells, all which are found in a substance that we dispose of without a second thought. I also learnt of the four different and complex phases of the cycle, which change according to the hormonal fluctuations that affect our temperature, metabolism, nutritional uptake, blood sugar levels, heart rate, pain threshold, brain waves, our sense of sight, sound and smell, our energy levels, our sleep and our emotional state. As a young woman in modern society, it seems essential to be able to measure and recognise these changes. And I personally see it as paramount to educate our daughters, our sons, our brothers and our fathers, also our school teachers and medical staff alike. Not only is this important to set a woman on a path of positive attitude towards her body, where her natural curiosity and interest can be met with encouragement and support, but these skills of bodily awareness can develop over a lifetime with profound impacts on her sense of self-worth, her mental and emotional well-being, her sexuality and her identity. We need support systems in place to facilitate healing and growth. 
We need to speak openly about menstruation. We need non-menstruating folk to educate themselves, ask questions, be considerate and help change the way. I'm going to finish with a quote from Anita Diamond's novel, The Red Tent, which is a retelling of a Bible story from a female's perspective. This story is neither biblically nor historically accurate. However, it helps to fill in the blanks on reimagining the story of Dina, the only daughter of Jacob. What this piece of literature does is powerfully reframes menstruation and the menstrual blood as a sacred and beautiful thing. It also celebrates womanhood in a way that has been lost in our culture. The great mother, whom we call Inanna, gave a gift to woman that is not known among men, and that is the secret of blood. The flow at the dark of the moon, the healing blood of the moon's birth, To men, this is flux and distemper, bother and pain. They imagine we suffer and consider themselves lucky. In the red tent, the truth is known. In the red tent, where days pass like a gentle stream, as the gift of Inanna courses through us, cleansing the body of last month's death, preparing the body to receive the new month's life, women give thanks for repose and restoration for the knowledge that life comes from between our legs and that life costs blood. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another Iconic Podcast. Stay tuned for more. It's always Iconic.